Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 10 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. Today we're interviewing Sam Felton. Now, I first heard of Sam on a podcast back in 2018 where he was explaining about his work with the Public Health Collaboration and I was really fascinated with the experiment he did. So I'm really pleased that he shared that with us, Louise. And a lot of our guests have been from the PHC conference. Either we've met them there or they've been on the stage there. And yeah, I think the work that he's doing is really great. Yeah, and I also heard first I heard of Sam and Sam's work with the PHC on a podcast. So it's really fantastic that we were able to obviously meet him at together at the 2019 conference. So yeah, it's been a real privilege to have Sam on the on this podcast and be able to share his work with a public health collaboration as a charity in the UK and as well as a you know a public health um, initiative that he's trying to do in changing the Eat Well guidelines. He's a really commendable young man with so much passion. It's really fantastic. So, Jackie, why don't you tell us a bit more about Sam? So, Sam has been in the health and fitness industry for over a decade, starting out as a party coordinator at a sports centre and working his way up to studying at the European Institute of Fitness and qualifying as a master personal trainer. After five years of running a fitness boot camp business, Sam decided to move away from that business in order to fully focus on improving public health by setting up and directing the Public Health Collaboration. So Jackie, let's roll the tape and hear from Sam. Welcome Sam to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. It's absolutely fabulous to be here. (laughs) Great. And we like starting the podcast by asking where in the world you are. Well, I'm in uh, kind of mid-Hampshire, which is about an hour away west of London, um, and kind of half an hour north of Southampton, um, so kind of in that, in that pocket of the world. In the UK. Yeah, in the, in the UK, of course, yeah. 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 Excellent. <laughs> so Sam, why don't you start by telling us how you came into the low-carb journey? So for me, I started off my health and fitness career really as a as a personal trainer and um, I studied at the European Institute of Fitness in 2010 and I basically from there uh, moved in with my brother uh, in London in a small little box room uh, which was joy upon joy but it was 50 quid a week so that's pretty cheap for central London <laughs> um, yeah very cheap 
and I started setting up my one-to-one personal training business from there. Um, but after a few months of just doing one-to-one, I was kind of not exactly excited about the the career choice that I'd made. But looking back at my previous career, I was a snowboard instructor for personal training and things. And one of the main elements of that is kind of the the group environment. And so I decided that um, I'd prefer group training, basically. And mm-hmm. so I went about setting up fitness boot camps called Smash the Fats, they were called. And uh, I set them up yeah, in 2010. And within you know a couple of years, I ended up with about 10 locations around the country uh, running, wow. running Smash the Fat and Fitness. Uh, boot camps which was uh, an absolutely incredible journey and I loved every bit of it um, and then in around about uh, 2012 I think um, I set up a, a YouTube channel and a podcast for the business as well um, and so I got to know lots of players in this game um, around the world within kind of health and fitness and particularly low carb because when I started the, the fitness boot camp business uh, well it started personal training in fact I was more kind of mainstream nutrition and things mm-hmm. I think there was there was still some sort of carbohydrate restriction in there but it wasn't until kind of late 2010 when I read uh, Gary Torbs's, um Why We Get Fat book which was published that year that I really started to get to grips with how low carb works and also, you know, having that historical context really, really helps. Um, and so from that point on, I'd started recommending, recommending low-carb real food diets. And, uh, yeah, the results basically spoke for themselves, essentially. Um, just clients got better results than they had before. And, yeah, it was just so consistent, basically. Um, and then moving back to kind of, you know, setting up a YouTube channel and things like that, became fairly well known for these self-experiments that I did where um, I overfed myself kind of twice the amount of calories. We'll probably get into this a bit later. But I did three different diets of those um, and I had some interesting results to say the least. And that kind of really kind of quote unquote put me on the map in terms of kind of the low carb community a little bit. Um, At the time anyway. Um, And uh, from there, couple of years later um in 2015 i felt like i was in a bit of a philosophical quandary where i thought okay i can carry on this business and try and grow it as large as i can um and you know helping as many people as i can but in the back of my mind we'd always be battling uphill against what i think is um bad nutrition advice from the government basically yeah and so I decided that the only way to truly tackle this is by, you know, um, getting to the root cause of it, uh, which is the current health eating guidelines for the UK, and you know, a lot of a lot of the world are doing the same as well. And so, I decided that the only way to do that properly is by setting up a non-profit organisation or charity, in which we'd basically uh, lobby the the government um, and try to prove our point at the same time about the fact that perhaps we got our first best guess in the 80s and 90s was incorrect and that you know the science has moved on and that there's actually a better way 
of doing this. Um, and that's where the idea of the public health collaboration came about. And then I pitched this idea to the likes of Asim Mahotra, Trudy Deacon, uh, David Unwin, uh, Jen Unwin, um, and, and the like. Um, and they loved the idea. And then February 2016, we set up an online crowdfunding campaign, uh, doubled our target during that, that month of crowdfunding. And yeah, basically we haven't looked back since. I'm uh, just trying to, you know, uh, come up with better ideas about how to present the the situation and what we think would be a better solution um, for for what we're currently going through, and also trying to prove our point through the ambassadors program, where they basically liaise with local healthcare professionals and NHS GP practices for the most part. Um, and try to help them set up support groups and then show that they're able to kind of get good results through that and that we're able to replicate that, yada, 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 basically, and, and save the money in the NHS and improve health at the same time. Great. So tell us a bit more about the Ambassadors Programme. Yes. So uh, this was kind of a bit of an afterthought, really, during the PHC journey. Um, it was, it would have been 2017, that we set it up September 2017. Um, so we'd kind of been going 18 months at that point. Um, and it was kind of a, an idea of how to try and harness the energy that the public had because we had so many supporters who are members of the public and not just work, um, healthcare professionals working for the NHS and healthcare professionals at large. And we thought, yeah, we need to try and harness this. Um, and the best way to do that is to create this ambassadors program where their local representatives of the PHC um, who approach local uh, GP practices and tell them about the PHC and how we can help them. And one of the main ways that we're trying to help them is by helping them set up uh, free support groups for their patients to attend to learn about everything that we're saying in terms of real food and metabolic health. Um, and so the idea is that the, the PHC um, support groups um, are in conjunction with local NHS GP practices um, and they're you know 100% free, basically. And uh, as that's grown over the past uh, almost three years now, gone from zero to almost 250 ambassadors across the UK, um, which has been absolutely incredible and just some of the results that the ambassadors have been able to create through just kind of you know connecting people with people um, you know face to face and uh, yeah just trying to create a community in in their own uh, local areas basically it's, it's been absolutely wonderful yeah and um, I'm a PHC ambassador as well of course so, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that Jackie <laughs> So we've had on the podcast Lou Walker and Dr. Chris Barclay. Tell us some of the stories that have come through from some of the ambassadors. Yes. Um, so we, we're just getting so many more um, ambassadors that are actually kind of what I'd call breaking through. Because, of course, you're, you're basically you're a representative of the PHC. But for some people, they're almost cold calling their own GP practices about this. And, you know, you're kind of walking off the street and saying, hey, I can save you money and improve your patient's health. And it's like, OK, what, what snake oil is this person selling, basically? Um, 
But uh, the, the way that we've done it, and as, as you'd know, Jackie, is that the best way to do it is to go through the patient participation group um, because every practice in England and Wales, it's mandatory for them to have a uh, patient participation group. Um, unfortunately, it's not mandatory in Scotland, but they, they, that most practices have them. But uh, basically, they go through that system and then pitch the idea of support groups uh, for people living with type 2 diabetes and obesity and their relatives and their friends and things like that to help them improve. And the best example of this is a guy up in Liverpool called Andy Bishop, um, who's done an outstanding job. Um, so he went through this process of basically joining the patient participation group and then I think it was about six months before he was able to kind of get the PhD on the agenda for a meeting. And then he pitched this idea and then kind of the healthcare professionals became aware of it. And then it wasn't uh, you know, another six months before it came up in a, in a healthcare professional meeting. And then he had to wait another six months or something like that before he was able to set up the first group. But, you know, 18 months down the line, he was able to set them up. And then ever since he set them up, it's just grown and grown and grown. He's got, I think, four or five groups running throughout kind of North Liverpool. Um, and now there are more ambassadors that are coming on board in Liverpool itself. So they're going to kind of be able to expand that and also go into other areas as well of, of the community, um, which is absolutely fantastic. And uh, there's, a, there's a great video on YouTube of, uh, of Andy's work through what's called Care Merseyside. Um, and that's just, it's a fantastic video. So if you, if you um, search for Care Merseyside Low Carb, then I think it is one of the top two videos there. And it's like eight week low carb program. And it just shows, demonstrates how powerful it is. It kind of goes through what they actually do in the groups, but also the um, the results that they've had and kind of the, the heartfelt stories that people have have improved their lives upon. So, um, yeah, it's incredible. And then, you know, there's not only Andy up in Liverpool, uh, there's Liz Lafleur who's in uh, Basingstoke, who's done an absolutely fantastic job and she's, you know, a force of nature, basically. <laughs> That's the <laughs> way I describe her. And... She did a presentation for our virtual conference this year, uh, which was in uh, in May of this year. Um, and that video is on our um, our YouTube channel. So if you just search for public health collaboration, um, Elizabeth uh, Lapla, um, then that video will come up. And she kind of explains her own journey because she's somebody who's put her own type two diabetes into remission through uh, through a low carb diet and. Yeah, it explains you know how she set up the groups and the results that they've been getting. So it's it's fantastic to see. So you know these these are popping up uh, more and more and more. And what we're we're currently doing is that we're actually putting together a case study book of all of the case studies that we've had through the ambassadors program um, for all the different areas, so that we can kind of you know present this to GP practices around the country, but also to to people that are in positions of power to show them that look what we're doing is a it's helping but b it's it's also we're able to replicate the results essentially which is what you want in something that can be scaled up essentially yeah so uh, yeah once we kind of have all those bits then we're hoping to kind of you know grow even more fantastic so sam 
you know, if it wasn't for Andy's, I suppose, persistence and commitment to obviously breaking into perhaps the, the patient group, why do you think he met with so much resistance initially? Well, I mean, it's, it's multifactorial um, because it is, it's so dependent on, on people at the practice, basically. There'd be an initial you know, resistance to it. In fact, that it, A, it's change. B, it's new ideas, <laughs> and C, they might have other stuff to do as well. They don't, they don't realise the impact that it can actually have on on a practice, and and that's part of kind of us putting together this case study book, so that those that kind of can't envision the future that we're trying to create can actually see what it could be like, because it's it's always difficult to try and create a, a future for somebody that's kind of you know putting out fat fires all the time because you know gps and nurses at gp practices particularly at the moment uh, are putting out tiny little fires all over the place so you know they're really really busy but if we can you know show them a painting basically that they can get a vision of the future then uh, i think that'll go a long way to helping trying to prevent that resistance from happening but i think it is it's a case of people being very very busy not being able to see the vision that we're trying to create and also resistance to, to the ideas, really. Yeah. And, I mean, Dr. Asim Mahotra has tried really hard with the government to get in there to make some changes, mm-hmm. but in a way he's fighting an uphill battle, as our, as we all are, because there's a lot of food lobbying and um, processing and pharma intervention that we can't get past. But I think your way is is great because we're attacking at grassroots level for people to make the changes themselves. Mm -hmm. And then we should, over time, get a groundswell of people that say, this is working for me. Why aren't you looking at it? So I think that's going to be... Exactly. And yeah, that's that's really the idea. Um, It's kind of have have the two ways of attacking, attacking at the top as as the seam is, um, and, and us kind of, you know, uh, trying to create this groundswell, as you say, and trying to burn the candle at both ends so that we meet in the middle somewhere um, a lot quicker. But I think we, we, it's it's such a foundational thing to demonstrate that this works in the real world, basically, for people to actually accept the fact that this is something that could work, basically. And so having an ambassador's program functioning as it is 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 paramount to to the changes that we want to see. So. Big shout out to all the ambassadors. <laughs> so really the ambassadors are, are there for the community support for the actual person who is living with like type 2 diabetes. So they come at it with what some training. So I know Jackie's done some mm-hmm. training. But it's really there to help sort of support the practical day by day of living with type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. and wanting to take on a low carbohydrate approach. It's, that's pretty much it. Is it more? Is it just much it? That's pretty much it in a nutshell. And so the way that it works is that you know, the, the, the groups are there for people to attend um, and then you know the, the ambassadors present the information and that's all it is. So it's not advice, it's information, but it's in the context of having the support of the local healthcare professionals of those GP practices. 
basically. So kind of when it comes down to adapting medications and things like that, then you've got the local healthcare professionals on hand. But then, you know, the ambassadors themselves tend to be more experienced in terms of the day-to-day living of this. You know, how do you uh, create keep to a low-carb diet when you've got a family um, that kind of eats standard diets, for instance? You, know, you can try and change them as much as you can, but if you've got teenagers, for instance, they're going to be incredibly hard to change. <laughs> so, you know, how do you deal with that? And the ambassadors tend to be people that, more experienced in in those Mm. realms and kind of yeah those day-to-day practicalities Mm. yeah that really offers that peer support that practical yes and and that's that's the other major thing with the support groups is that it creates peer-to-peer support and many of them either have private facebook groups or whatsapp groups and things like that so that they can share on a day-to-day basis and kind of you know check in with each other very often and and this Mm. is people that you actually know you know um physically not just kind of online. So it's it's great to kind of have that support. Yeah. And the resources that you've developed are really great too because those little simple little guides, you know, they they're actually really handy to, to be able to, you know, to visualize, you know, what's what is just real food. Yeah, exactly. So um for those that don't know, we have a whole host of kind of booklets and flyers on the website. Um, I'm sure links will be in the show notes, but if you go to phcuk.org, then you can hover over the resources tab and then there's all sorts of resources there from the booklets um, that we've created based on um, our health eating guidelines report, um, which are the real food lifestyle booklets, uh, to Dr. David Unwin's sugar infographics, which are incredibly powerful for people to realise that, okay, so if I were to eat that much rice, it would raise my blood sugar the same amount as like 10 teaspoons of sugar. And who would want to put 10 teaspoons of sugar in your body? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really, really powerful stuff. And amazingly, you know, those, those sugar infographics are endorsed by NICE, which is the uh, National Institute of Clinical Excellence in the UK, which is basically the guidelines body, essentially. Yeah. So we, we, we are absolutely making inroads in into kind of the the mainstream advice awesome. it's just it's it's mm-hmm. taking its time but you know that's that's mm-hmm. part of the process i guess yeah i have to tell you a story about the um the phc sort of resources um so uh, after the conference so i attended um the 18 17 and 18 conference 18 and Sorry, 19 no, the 18 19 18 and 19 conference and while i was in the uk and I was having, um, it was like a man with a van who was transporting some, some stuff for me into where I was in Chelmsford in Essex. And this, this portly man, so he had to be in his 30s, but quite portly, so he had the abdominal obesity, and he was downing his um, can of Coke and um, having a cigarette. So and I'm just sort of obviously in my, in my mind, I'm profiling him. And we got chatting as we do, so over the over the back doorstep in the in the garden and he said he was he was diabetic. And I said, I've got the information for you, mate. Let me just <laughs> run upstairs and I was like handing him out all these, you know, the infographics right. and the cards, like it was just, you know, perfect, perfect timing. So and he's going, Yeah, 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 I know, I know. So 
Um, yeah, as he was downing his, you know, his Greg's pasty and his um, yeah, can of coke. <laughs> so, but it was a small, it was a small gift that Sam, you know, the gift that keeps on giving was obviously this opportunity to talk about, obviously, you know, just eating eating real food to to help him with his diabetes. So um, yeah, so thank you. Oh, Brett. absolute pleasure, and that, that's what it's there for, you know. Um, and just having those when those opportunities do arise, and you kind of got something on hand, and then just like pass it over, just simple information uh, that they can begin to act on and start their own journey. And, and that's all it is about: starting journeys and you know, hopefully help them on their way. Right. So, what's a what's a typical day for you in terms of your eating? So, for me, um, my usual eating is that I don't have breakfast for a start. <laughs> I, I mean, I really just have coffee in the morning, to be honest. And my fir- my first meal of the day um, is approximately about 12, 12.30. Um, before that, I would have worked out. I would have done some strength training and some high-intensity um, interval training as well, just beforehand. So I'm, I'm working out on an empty stomach. I don't recommend that for everybody. You kind of have to work up to that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, it works for me. Um, I, I can't work out on, on a... Know, on food anymore i have to work out before i eat and um, which is mm-hmm. like evolutionarily that's how it works you have to exercise to get your food um yeah. and that, that's kind of the way that i see it anyway run after the animal precisely yeah exactly or mm-hmm. like you know gather the food and things like that and you've got to exercise to get the food you don't you know have a pre-workout meal to work out <laughs> it's not how it works pre-workout meal to work it off yeah precisely no good um anyway so yeah i do that and my daily meal my first meal of the day tends to be scrambled eggs basically scrambled eggs uh with cheese um sometimes i put cream cheese in it particularly if i've you know overcooked it that sort of thing (laughs) um so (laughs) yeah um, that that usually works and usually some ham as well um i slice in there too and that'd be it basically for for my first meal of the day um, and then occasionally, so during the week, I don't tend to eat that much dinner, really. Um, I tend to just have something like yogurt and and some nuts, basically. And kind of on the weekends is when I tend to eat um, eat dinner because my daughter's usually at nursery. So her meals are kind of all sorted out at nursery and things. So during weekends, when I when we all eat together, basically, lunch tends to be uh, kind of a low carb full English, uh, and then the dinner meal tends to be something like uh, a low carb uh, cheeseburger, essentially, where I'd make the um, the bread from uh, kind of it's a it's a flaxseed mix, basically, and then just flaxseeds and eggs and things like that, and then I spread that across a baking tray. <clears throat> so that I can cut up lots of kind of bread from it, and then I do the same with uh, mince. So with the mince again, an egg, a little bit of flaxseed to to bind it and things, and then spread that across a baking tray the same size, and then you can kind of make burgers from that, and then it kind of corresponding <laughs> to the bread from the baking tray. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm very kind of you know geometric and kind of very systematical about all of this type of stuff so um yeah i do that um and yeah we kind of have you know cheeseburgers 
uh, low carb cheeseburgers, and then um, also you know yeah, occasionally fish, um, fish salads and things like that, that sort of thing. It's it's really not exciting at all to be honest. <laughs> I'm I'm very boring in my eating. Um, I I I don't tend to kind of vary it too much, but yeah. Mm. But the whole family is low carb. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So there's uh myself, my wife, and my daughter. Um. And uh yeah, we we because I'm the cook, basically. So um and I I do all the shopping, as well. So there's no bad stuff in the house. Full stop. Basically. So there's no there's not that temptation there whatsoever. And yeah, whatever I cook, gets eaten. Um, where it kind of varies is obviously my my daughter who's three years old, she goes to nursery, and so yeah, we I basically once a season, once every three months, I have to edit their menus about what she can and can't have. Um, but they're very accommodating. Um, that's going to change when she goes to school, of course. But that's going to be a, a bridge that I'm going to have to cross when we come to it. Yeah, I we'll think the making... UK schools, yeah, making friends and enemies oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be making pet lunches. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like if 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 we, well, I'm I'm going to be fighting for pet lunches anyway. I've heard some real horror stories where you know parents aren't even allowed to give them pet lunches, and then you know it's it's people that have got children that are living with type one diabetes, and they're still not allowed to give them lunches and it's like well no that's kind of it's actually a health issue you know so why can't i give them packed lunches it's just it's so bizarre but you know if if we have to come across that then you know i'll be fighting tooth and nail so yeah and you're lucky because your daughter's little so she's grown that's what she's grown up with mm. she doesn't really know any different whereas i when i came into it my boys were mid-teens and they're not that interested but they have made some changes so we don't have potatoes with dinner anymore or rice or pasta Mm -hmm. and they will have that occasionally on the days that i'm fasting usually or we have a chili con carne mine is without beans but they'll have a bit of rice but one of my sons he doesn't have rice with it so they they're starting to see the benefit of it Mm. but without being totally on board yeah, and I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the best you can hope for is that you know you've, you've managed to influence them somewhat, and, and you know they'll, they'll make their own decisions. But it's great that they've kind of taken it on board because I know there's lots of situations where it's kind of complete opposite, isn't it? No, yeah, I have. No, my boys were, were me and my boys were similar, so mm. three teenagers, and it was they're, they're tough cookies, you know, in terms of their carb addiction. But this, and we we didn't. We did a blended sort of meal with perhaps sweet potato mm-hmm. instead of, you know, like a, a white potato or we would make them cook for us as well. So, you know, if they were having rice, then they had to prepare, um, you know, the collie rice as well. So they actually got a, you know, I suppose part of the education was that there's various, various substitutions that they could make. And when they did embrace it, like Jackie's boys, you know, that, that was that was really good. Their skin cleared up, you know, they were a lot nicer. They actually talked to us. <laughs> Imagine that. It was actually, they were really, oh no, teenagers, teenage boys, particularly not grunting, you know, they were actually really nice people. So That's great. But it was hard because two, yeah, two of them worked at Burger King, so that was really nice hard. Tough. Obviously, 
they had it, yeah, particularly with their staff discount. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, it's dangerous, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Cheap processed food. Mm. Many people believe that the way to lose weight is eat less and move more. We've been told that for the last 40 years. And in theory, it all makes total sense. But you did an experiment some years ago. Can you tell everyone about that? Yes. So, um, as I mentioned before, during my years of Smash the Fat, I was running a YouTube channel. And one of the things that I did on that YouTube channel were these overfeeding self experiments. Um, and this was in 2013. So, basically, I, I decided that because I'm, I'm a naturally slim person, um, and so putting on weight has always been very difficult for me. And obviously, I was in a position where, you know, I couldn't really demonstrate by losing weight, but I could demonstrate by gaining weight. And so what I did is come up with these uh, self-experiments where I'd overeat twice the amount that I usually would. But I was going to do it on three different diets for three weeks each time and have kind of a three month break in between each one so that, you know, I'd kind of metabolically reset. And so the first one. Uh, was low carb real food um, and on a daily basis I was eating just shy of 6,000 calories a day. Um, it was again scrambled eggs but with smoked salmon in the morning, um, you know a thousand calories of nuts <laughs> and then for lunch it was, what was it, again? it was mackerel that was it mackerel and green beans and then a thousand calories of nuts and then steak and green beans um, and then a thousand calories of nuts at the end as well and it was like it was walnuts pecans and almonds off the top of my head but yeah i was doing that every day and then i did the same amount of exercise each and every week which was essentially my cycling commute to run my fitness boot camps but then also i was doing my three usual strength training and interval training workouts as well and after those three weeks i calculated the 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 net calorie surplus and what i mean by that is when you minus the the exercise the protein thermogenic effect um you know the calories you lose from having to burn protein basically um and then the loss of fiber as well you you lose about half the calories of fiber um when you eat them then uh, after that i ended up in a 47000 calorie surplus and wow. Basically, yeah, exactly. Um, according to the calorie formula, that means that I should have put on 6.1 kilograms over those three weeks. But amazingly, I actually only put on 1.3 kilograms during those three weeks. But I also lost three centimeters from my waist <laughs> as well. So despite the fact that, you know, calorie formula was screaming that you should have put on weight, I didn't, basically. <laughs> so that was very interesting on its own. But as I said, I wanted to do this on, on different diets and see see what reaction that I had. And so after that three-month uh, metabolic reset, then I decided to do low-fat fake food. So um, it was a very standard kind of diet for a lot of people. It was uh, Special K and skim milk. Um, so just kind of white water. <laughs> I just, I, oh, yeah, I still can't get over that, that people buy that. Um, so crazy <laughs> anyway um and then uh kind of mid-morning snack was i think it was like some low-fat pizzas or something like that and then for lunch it was a you know 
skinless chicken breast sandwich um, with 0% fat yogurt. Uh, and then in the evening, it was a low-fat lasagna with low-fat garlic bread. And uh, then I had like some chocolate in the evening as well. Um, and then, yeah, I think there was definitely there was a can of Coke in there somewhere as well um, and stuff like that. And over those three weeks, again, did the same amount of exercise as well as I had on the previous experiment. And I ended up, once you, again, take away the exercise, protein, and the fiber, ended up in a 47,000 calorie surplus. So I had ended up in the same net so, calorie surplus, which is amazing. So I should have put on 6.1 kilograms of weight, but I actually put on 7.1 kilograms. So it was actually a kilogram over the calorie formula, which was incredible. Wow. And I put on, what was it? It was nine and a quarter centimeters on my waist as well. So wow. I basically ballooned in three weeks. And, and the blood work wasn't good either. My triglycerides had quadrupled during that time as well, which was shocking. <laughs> really, really terrifying. And so during that time, it really kind of demonstrated that although I was in the same calorie surplus um, on two different diets, had two very different reactions within my body, basically, yeah. which you'd kind of expect when you know um, different things have different reactions within the body. It's kind of yeah. you know, how biology works well, a lot of the time. We expect that because we know the nutritional value of real food compared to fake food. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people only think about the calories; yeah, they don't exactly. think about the nutritional value of the food. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, kind of. In addition to this, um, I've got one more experiment to explain. But before that, immediately following this low-fat fake food diet, I went immediately back to my low-carb real food diet. Um, but what I did to try and I tried to maintain the weight gain, basically. So I ate at calorie maintenance for the following three weeks, which was about three and a half thousand calories. And you know, I was eating this essentially the same things as I was on the on the first experiment, but three and a half thousand calories to try and maintain this weight that I gained. But over the process of those three weeks, I actually lost six point one kilograms of that seven point one kilograms. Despite <laughs> despite being at a caloric maintenance level, basically. So it was it was absolutely incredible to see that, you know, I dropped that much um in just three weeks by eating my caloric maintenance level absolutely incredible and again just kind of demonstrates that yeah obviously different foods have different reactions and and although you know quantity comes into health somewhere but it's not necessarily kind of calories in calories out basically Mm. yeah i mean i've i've heard this story so many times and i think when you were doing the experiment with the fake food and the low carb you were eating around six thousand calories if i remember rightly yeah exactly yeah and i often think i would love to be able to do an experiment like that <laughs> but i'm definitely not going to take a chance of putting all that weight back on having lost it you know taken years to lose it so yeah do it i wouldn't i you... wouldn't recommend it for anybody else <laughs> Must have cost you a lot, you know, like you're describing, you know, all those nuts. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Mm. definitely. Because, you know, I was eating, gosh, what was it? It was in the region of about half a kilogram of nuts a day, you know. So that that does, it did clock up a lot, (laughs) really. Um, Mm. But uh, yeah, going back to this 
third and final um, self-experiment that I did. So the third and final one was a very low-fat um, vegan diet. So I was eating things like uh, porridge with water for um, for breakfast. Yeah, which was grim. <laughs> um, and then uh, kind of, you know, snack time was kind of, you know, a couple of bananas, that sort of thing. And then uh, lunch was rice with beans. That was it, rice and beans. And then kind of dinner. It was dinner again. Yeah, there was there was some soy in there as well um, with potatoes and things like that. Um, so all that. Did you get to six? six was that six thousand yes. calories? So that, it was that, it that was that the one? same uh, same wow. gross in terms of uh, yeah, the gross calorie surplus. But what actually happened on this one, once you took away the exercise, the protein and the fibre in particular, I actually only ended up in a 40,000 calorie surplus. And that was because I was eating so much fibre every day, which is incredible. So the recommended daily allowance in the UK is 30 grams. I was eating 175 grams a day, which is a lot. Were you spending a lot of time in the Yes, loop? exactly. Um, my wife wasn't pleased, basically. <laughs> Um, during that time, neither was I um, at all. Um, and so, on that experiment, I actually the calorie formula said I should have put on five point one kilograms, but um, I actually put on four point seven kilograms. So you know, just under that. But I put on seven and three quarter centimeters in my waist. So you know, it was it was incredible to see that, and it you know it kind of matches up. With the with the insulin theory and the fact that you know I wouldn't have been secreting as much insulin from that, I mean you know down to the fiber a lot of that, um, and so uh, yeah, it kind of matches up in terms of the fact that I I didn't put on quite as much weight as uh, as the low fat fake food one um, and things. So it's it's very very interesting times and my my mood and uh, kind of respiratory health really kind of deteriorated on both the low fat fake food and the in the very low fat fake food so yeah i was really not cognitively functioning very well um particularly on the last one and then also my asthmatic symptoms came back a little bit so when i moved to a low carb real food diet they basically disappeared essentially but you know reintroducing a lot more carbs and a lot more processed food um, it really kind of yeah came back with a vengeance, and I was even getting out of breath on my my cycle commute, um, which is you know a very leisurely cycle. It's not like a kind of a um, spin class or anything. <laughs> it's just like toddling along. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was really shocking. Yeah, I was gonna gonna say about how how you actually I mean apart from your body responding with you know gaining weight and centimeters around your waist, that it was obviously these other other factors and, and mood would have been would have been terrible for you because you're such an active person oh definitely and, and my sleep as well was really disrupted during those last two experiments and um, it wasn't it wasn't that bad on the first experiment but <clears throat> interestingly there was one night where i woke up really sweating like really really i was really hot <laughs> basically so that was that was really interesting mm-hmm. yeah and those videos are still on YouTube? Yes, yeah, yeah. So people can go still check those out by searching Smash the Fan. Yeah, you'll see them right there. Great. It's an interesting marketing. Who came up with that name? <laughs> that was me in my younger years. <laughs> Definitely. 
I, I always thought it was a great name. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I could have been tempted to use it. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> um, it's, it, it was a fun name, definitely. I think some people kind of took it the wrong way a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was fun and, and my, my campers thought it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I, I didn't mind. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, sorry, if you weren't one of those sort of, you know, commando types, I'm your commando slash your fat. I yeah. can imagine sort of like YouTube marketing of, you know, <laughs> here's this aggressive commando. You fatty, I'm going to smash your fat. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> get down Get get down and give me twenty. That sort of thing, definitely. Um, there were those types about, but uh, thankfully I didn't fall into that trap. <laughs> so going back to the PHC, so this year you did the conference online, and hopefully next year we'll be going in person. What else have you got planned for the PHC? So in terms of the future, trying to expand the ambassadors program, of course, um, and as I mentioned earlier, the case study book um, will be a large part of that, trying to demonstrate to people how powerful it can be. But also at the same time, because of the pandemic that we've been through, we're going to be writing a report based on the fact that we should be more resilient metabolically as a nation and as a world. Um, for this type of thing because of course you know those that have suffered from the coronavirus and, and COVID-19 um, uh, in proportionally um, living with obesity and type 2 diabetes and also the BAME communities as well and so we're going to be addressing that in a report along the lines of future pandemic resilience through lifestyle for the UK um, so that's that's going to be um, really hopefully enlightening for the government and other organisations involved in health and public health throughout the UK and the world. Yeah, I think if we can make a difference to ourselves metabolically, we're not going to be attacked, shall we say, by Mm -hmm. these viruses. Because I I think if we don't make a change, then we're just going to get another virus at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. And and another one. So we've got to change ourselves so that the viruses are either not going to attack us or we can cope with it better. So it'll be less impactful. There'll be yeah, less less disruption and less death <laughs> um, and loss and less uh, less sadness throughout the world. So yeah, hopefully it'll it'll put the case forward for the fact that look, if we were all healthier, then we'd be in a better position for for handling a, a pandemic like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think the word you're using like in terms of resilience, I think it's about that sort of as you said, you know, metabolically strengthening our position mm-hmm. so to make us less vulnerable, as Jackie said, you know, about obviously the impacts of future, um, you know, future-proofing against exactly. um, the next the next virus or the next, you know, really bad flu season or, you know, whatever it is that we're going to be doing. But it, it's very true that there are loads of, you know, vulnerable populations. And you mentioned, obviously, you know, whether it is the type 2 diabetes, but disproportionately represented in vulnerable communities such as the Bain, um, that, that we've actually seen how that's, you know, coronavirus has decimated those particular groups. But, you know, and the age. But what we don't know just yet is, you know, post-corona, those people in the UK, what what's your numbers now? Like 44,000, 44,000 people have had corona? Um, no, sorry. Oh, no, those are deaths. Deaths. Oh, sorry. 
know, let's backtrack. Um, like two hundred and fifty. You're up to two hundred something thousand something like that. Yeah. Yeah, loads loads of people in the UK. But what we what I was reading um, just today was we don't know those people that have had it and obviously ended up, you know, severely impacted because of the effects of the virus. Not the mild people, but those that obviously have those underlying metabolic challenges that affected their lungs, particularly what that's going to play out like with the levels of disability in terms of that. So, you know, they've been talking about muscle weakness, and obviously the breathlessness, you know, it's a very long rehabilitation post-corona. Yeah, very much so. Um, and as we mentioned before, like if we were all metabolically healthier, then we'd be in better positions um, in terms of, you know, fighting this, this sort of virus off. So fingers crossed it'll, uh, it'll pique the interest of, of those in positions of power and, and we'll take action so that we're more resilient the next time this happens. Mm. Yeah, great. Talking about, you know, impacting the PHC, impacting and future-proofing our communities. So that's, that's a really great thing that you're driving in terms of um, yeah, population health. Fantastic. Thanks. Thumbs up. Great. Uh, so, Sam, if people want to get in contact with you or the PHC, what's the best way that they can make contact with you? Best way for me personally is on Twitter. So if you go to twitter.com forward slash Sam Felton, uh, follow me there. If you tweet me, I'll, I'll generally reply back. Um, and then if you want to get in touch with the PHC, uh, you can go to our website, phcuk.org. Um, and then you can go to the contact uh, page there and contact us through that. And also follow us on social media as well. Uh, we, we, we put up a, a, a wee bit of things. And yeah, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel too because there's a ton of videos on there from this year's conference and, and the previous four as well so lots of information and resources yeah, Jackie and I were privileged enough to go last year so and I have to give a shout out to your catering because that's one of the best you know catered low carb conferences you know that's the you know, gold starter thanks very much we, 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 we work hard really on that. I'm like working with the caterers because you know the caterers they, they, they want to do the best job that they they can basically but they need the guidance um, and so yeah we, we just have to guide them yeah yeah it's great being able to go up to the buffet table and be able to choose anything rather than nothing <laughs> amazing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> that's really good so yeah and because last year obviously we had professor tim noakes there so that was obviously you know the rousing standing ovation that was really quite a moving speech that he gave so yeah, that was quite a privilege to to attend that particular presentation. It was incredible. That was two years ago. That would have been two years ago now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy, right? I'm sorry. It only feels like last year. Yeah, it's like, well, it's so, it's so vivid. <laughs> it's just a um, Yeah, if anybody has the time, definitely go check out that video. So Tim Noakes Public Health Collaboration, it'll come up, um, and just yeah, see, watch the standing ovation part. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I'm in a I'm in a time warp here anyway. So <laughs> I think we all are okay. with this lockdown. The whole year's gone past and we've missed it. It's fine. Year's gone. Um, Sam, we'd like to end the podcast with obviously giving our listeners some of your best advice. Um, so and that's usually around about three tips. I know we're putting you under a spotlight here. Okay. So your best <clears throat> three tips for someone starting out on a low carb journey. So my three top tips for a low carb journey um i guess the first thing to do is to understand why 
you want to do it. So create a personal purpose as to why you want to want to improve your health. And so and even, you know, what I used to get my clients to do is to write that down on a credit card size piece of card and have it in your wallet and have it on top of your cards, your payment cards. Um, and so when you've got that personal purpose as to why you want to become healthier, um, and every time you kind of go to buy something, whether it be the food shopping or a cafe or something like that, then you see your personal purpose as to why first. So that, you know, hopefully that will remind you and stop you from temptation, things like that. But it also gives you kind of inner drive to to move forward with it and, and, and stick to it. Um, number two, have the resources there available for you to make sure you have enough variety for yourself. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm a very, very simple guy. I, I don't care much for variety. Um, I, I have variety when I go to restaurants and things, but at home, I'm a very simple, straight down the line guy. Um, but I know that a lot of people need that variety. So make sure you've got a recipe book um, or you've got access to, to good websites like dietdoctor.com, ditch the carbs, all that sort of thing. Um, if you've got all of that ready, then you've kind of got the variety there. Um, and also, you know, lay out what you're going to be eating for the first week at least, you know, um, so that then, you know, you're 100% ready. Um, and I guess the other thing would be to try and have somebody accountable for it as well. So somebody that can help you stick to the lifestyle um, but also get that support. So when you're feeling down and things like that, um, then you can say, oh, I'm feeling really down today. I'm not sure. I'm not really, you know, make feel, I don't feel like I'm making progress and things like that. So, you know, um, connecting to a community like this, you know, is, is ideal um, where you can kind of speak, speak to other people basically through a Facebook group. Or, or a WhatsApp group or that sort of thing. So try and yeah have a support group there as well. Mm-hmm. Great. So thank you for joining us today. It's been fabulous talking to you and I, I just love your experiments. I, I think about them often, but mm-hmm. especially when people are so bought into this, you have to cut your calories and, and you've absolutely proved that that's not true. You can increase them and not put on weight. So Thank you for sharing that. And I, and I love the work that you've been doing with the PHC. And, you know, I don't support many charities. The charities that I support are the ones that I know are doing good in the world, not the big ones. So I'm really happy to put my money towards PHC. Thank you so much. It means a lot, honestly. Yeah, definitely a worthy, a worthy charity. And um, certainly the public education and the health promotion that you're doing is, is really wonderful. So very commendable pleasure and an honor to, to be part of it so thanks guys thank you. no worries thank you so jackie sam is just a bundle of energy isn't he like he's just got so much passion for what he's doing and obviously trying to make a difference with public health with the public health collaboration yeah it's amazing yeah and would you put your body on the line for those experiments? No, I, I, you know, I said so in the recording. I, you know, having done this journey, I think it would be very easy to get back to where I was, and I don't think I. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would trust myself to be able to to do that. It was such hard work to get it to where I am now. 
do I want to go through all that again? Yeah, but he did it in the name of science. So, um, yeah. But obviously, like you said, you know, for that period of time, he was obviously trying to prove the point about calories. So it's, you know, thank you, Sam, for putting your body on the line for science. That's that's really commendable of you. Yeah, Lucky is a lean, a lean, mean machine, isn't he? He certainly is. You know, and I was just looking at him going, oh, if only I had those genes. If I had that skinny gene, then I would sort of definitely, you know, be envious of, of his metabolic flexibility to be able to do that. Yeah, but we probably wouldn't, if we had that physique, we probably wouldn't be taking our health seriously. So we see a lot of people who <laughs> that's have been true. and, you know, been on the outside, fat on the inside. So there's a lot of people like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can we find the show notes for this particular episode? The show notes for this episode can be found at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero one zero. And on the show notes, we will definitely have the links to the various resources that Sam mentioned and the fabulous resources for the public health collaboration. And particularly, there's a great link there where Sam has collated um, citations from various studies that prove the efficacy or the effectiveness of the low-carbohydrate diet. So that's very commendable and a great resource for for those of you that um, want to read about the science of low-carbohydrate diets. And there is so much science nowadays to support what we're doing. Absolutely. Hey, Jackie. You know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweeteners? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey, and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. 
Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. Mm-hmm.